This is Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. Welcome to Episode 33 of Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission, recorded on September 17, 2020. This is where you can find out all you need or want to know about Downtown Halifax. I'm Ivy Ho, Director of Communications. And I'm Alana McDonald-Mills, Director of Marketing. We are your hosts for Downtown Lowdown. We'll be giving you the lowdown on what's new in businesses, events, and issues that affect downtown. We also talk to key individuals that help to make downtown Halifax better. We have a great episode today on BizBuzz. We'll talk about what's new in business, events and milestones in downtown Halifax, and more. Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission, will give us the highlights of the Mayoral Candidates Forum and new federal funding for black-owned and black-led businesses. First up, we're talking to Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission, about the HRM Mayoral Candidates Forum. Today we have Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission. He will share his thoughts on the Mayoral Candidates Forum that was broadcast live and rebroadcast on Eastlink TV and streamed live on Facebook and YouTube on September 16th. In anticipation of the municipal election on October 17th, all three Halifax mayoral candidates were invited to participate, incumbent Mayor Mike Savage, Max Taylor, and Councillor Matt Whitman. The forum was moderated by Norma Lee McLeod, consultant and former host of CBC's Maritime Noon. There were pre-prepared questions as well as questions from the public via Facebook Live and YouTube Live. The 14 organizations that partnered to present the Mayoral Candidates Forum were Black Business Initiative, Canadian Federation of Independent Business, Downtown Dartmouth Business Commission, Downtown Halifax Business Commission, Greater Burnside Business Association, Halifax Chamber of Commerce, North End Business Association, RHRM Alliance, Porter's Lake Business Association, Quinpool Road Main Street District Association, Sackville Business Association, Spring Garden Area Business Association, Spryfield Business Association, and the Village on Main Community Improvement District. So hi, Paul. Hello. Hello. So you watched the forum yesterday. It was recorded yesterday, and we're recording this today, like the day after. So what are your impressions of uh, the forum after watching it? Yeah, well, so I watched it live, so we yeah. had a few people that were allowed uh, in the room, so I didn't get the uh, benefit, of, benefit of following all the, the comments, um, which I think probably would have been a more entertaining way to watch it, but, uh, but it was good to, to see it live, and I think the, the candidates appreciated having at least a few people in the room, mostly sponsors and, and media, but just, just so they could, you know, uh, get some reactions and, and laughs. Um, there weren't any laughs, I don't think, but there was applause at the end. There uh, were a few laughs. laughs. There was a couple laughs. Small couple laughs. Yeah. Uh, I thought overall that it went really well. Um, I thought that the pace was good, uh, and uh, you know we we tend to be a partner in these kinds of, of forums. Uh, we've done a number of them over the years at uh, at the you know, provincial level, federal level, mm-hmm. municipal level. Uh, this is probably one of my favorite ones in terms of just the overall flow. I thought it moved along really well, uh, and it was nice that there were some real differences between the candidates. You've got three, you know, pretty different. Um, yeah, they're very different. Actually. Very different candidates in terms of age, background, mm-hmm. experience, and and uh, and in their views as well. I mean, mm-hmm. they didn't necessarily disagree on everything, but they certainly didn't agree on everything. Um, so I thought, it, I thought it made for a, a good viewing experience and, uh, and hopefully will help people make some uh, decisions. So, and overall, I was, I was um, you know, impressed with the candidates. It's, it's one of those things. It, it takes a lot of guts to put your name out there and actually go out and, and do these debates. They're not easy to do, and it's not something I'd want to do. I, anytime I speak publicly, I typically have a script in front of, in front of me, which is a bit easier. So um, You don't uh, have a script in front of you now. Uh, I've got a little bit of a, of a script in front of me here, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but no, um, but but you're there, and, and you've got to, in some cases, think on your feet and uh, and then react to what the other candidates are saying. So um, I thought they all did a great job. Um, you know, we we know that uh, Mike Savage and you know is a very experienced politician at, at various levels. Matt Whitman's been on council for for eight years. I think there's lots of uh, interest and questions about how Max Taylor would do, a uh, 22-year-old guy who's, uh, as far as we know, his first kick at the can in terms of uh, certainly in terms of municipal politics. Uh, but I thought he fared very well. He seemed very confident. And and well-spoken, so um, I think people were were pleasantly surprised um, with that. And uh, yeah, it was good. Let's go through some of the highlights then. Sure. Um, What answers impressed you the most? Well, I think as opposed to any sort of individual answers, I mean, again, what I really liked was was they did kind of stake out some some particular positions, um, you know, which did separate them. So there was some, you know, very lively conversation about, uh, you know, a couple of, I I would say, contentious issues in our community over the past uh, the past year or two years. Uh, One was about the CFL Stadium. uh, One was about the removal of the Cornwallis statue uh, in Cornwallis Park, which that park has now been renamed Peace and Friendship Park. And we've talked a bit about that uh, on the podcast here. And and certainly... um, um, you know, Mayor Savage and Councilor Whitman uh, have have very 
have opposite views uh, on both of those issues. Uh, so in, on the stadium, uh, Matt Whitman's consistently been against uh, funding the stadium. Uh, Mayor Savage voted for it. And I guess that was one of the nice things about those two candidates in particular is they have voting records. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way decisions are made at uh, councils, the, the mayor gets one vote, each councilor gets one vote. So you can actually go back over the past eight years and look at and see where each of these two uh, individuals at least have voted on different things right. uh, and, and see where they've been different. And where did Max Taylor land on that one? Max Taylor on the um, uh, on the Cornwall statue, he, he kind of played a, bit, a little bit of the middle ground on that one. He, he didn't really get pinned down in terms of whether he was in support of that or not. Uh, with the stadium, he definitely weighed in and, and expressed that he thought the stadium was, was a terrible idea, mm-hmm. uh, even to really be discussing it. He, he found it was a little bit offensive based on, on some of the other issues that our community is facing. So, um, so yeah, so I'll, I'll, certainly on the stadium issue, um, and I think probably that's in line with, with most residents. Mike Savage, uh, to you, with the CFL canceling its season, you know, in an uncertain future, is the stadium dead, even though council voted to put $20 million into it? Well, council voted to put $20 million into a $120 million stadium. I haven't met a business person yet who doesn't think that that's a good investment. But there was always the very good likelihood that that wasn't going to come to pass because what the CFL proponents wanted was a lot more. We would have put $20 million in. We would have got it back in property tax. In essence, it wouldn't have cost us anything. We would have had a stadium for generations to come. I've always said a stadium is a good idea at the right price. I've never said a stadium is a good idea at any price. I didn't put $50 down on tickets like Councillor Whitman did back when, when they first came to, uh, to town. I believe at the right price it's a good deal. And for, for that uh, case at that time, I think it made sense. There's no CFL series th- uh, season this year. I don't know if there will be. For now, it's, uh, it's not an expenditure we're going to make. Okay. Matt Whitman, you wanted it on that? Yes. Thank you, Normally, I think that uh, HRM dodged a bullet on, bullet on the CFL stadium and uh, – COVID uh, helped us through that. Um, I was disappointed that my colleagues spent, uh, committed $20 million to a stadium, and I'm one business person that uh, has 20 years in business, eight years on council. I don't think it was a good investment. Um, if it was a good investment, uh, the Steels, the O'Riggins, Ken Rowe, Mickey McDonald, these guys would be putting their money into a stadium, and they're not. So I'm not going to put taxpayers' money into it. Yes, I do put, put down $50. I would go to the CFL games. I do go to the Wanderers games. Um, I do go to these uh, sporting events, but that's my money. That's not taxpayers' money. So I want to make decisions that are best for taxpayers, not just for uh, insiders. Thank so you. any stadium ever for Halifax? Uh, not, not with that model, for sure. Not $20 million of taxpayers' money. You um, would want to pay for it all by the city? Pardon me? You'd want the city to pick up the whole cost? <laughs> no, I don't think that's what I said. I wouldn't have any taxpayers' dollars put into a stadium. I've been very, very clear on that. Thanks, Mike. Even if you get it back? It's just not a good investment. We can put the $20 million in something else and get it back. Affordable housing, homelessness, job creation, not a CFL stadium. The rich businessmen will be doing that if that's the case, and they're not. All right, Max, do you want it on that? I think right now there's a single mother out there who's struggling to put food on the table for her family. To discuss the CFL stadium would be insulting to her. I refuse to comment. Thank you. You know, some of the issues, things like bike lanes, there's probably lots of people that don't don't think much about bike lanes at all, uh, but everyone, seemed, everyone I've talked to has, has an opinion about the stadium investment. So, um, so these candidates did, which was which was good. So certainly some pretty stark differences between the candidates. Um, and again, that that's good because we want you know people want to be able to vote for someone that aligns with with their own you know opinions and, and believes on things too. So, um, so that was good. And I like the fact that they you know all of them were were pretty well prepared on on all the topics. We did share uh, the topics in advance because we weren't looking to surprise anyone. Right, but, that's um, a good point to bring up actually. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's no reason that they shouldn't have been prepared, but right. um, um, but these seem to be, you know, we seem to have nailed most of the, the important topics uh, as well, and, and they all had, uh, you know, had, had views on them, or if they didn't, they, they expressed that. So, um, yeah, I, I think overall that was uh, that was good. Okay. So I asked, you know, what were you impressed by, you know, with, uh, in terms of the questions, but what disappointed you the most in terms of some of the answers? Yeah, there was, a, there was a couple of topics that I thought really all the candidates, you know, could have been stronger on. Um, so one was on commercial taxes. Mm-hmm. So obviously this, this uh, you know, you, you listed the, the list of all the sponsors uh, or the partners. They're mostly business-focused uh, organizations. So we all, you know, like I guess like everyone else in the city, we all have strong feelings about, uh, about taxation levels and the way the tax system works. Um, but in particular, um, you know, we've all got interest in the commercial tax system. And it, it is, you know, 
the current system we feel, uh, certainly we as downtown Halifax Business Commission feel, is is weighted uh, towards encouraging development and business to locate in areas which actually are probably worse for the city uh, in terms of bringing in a return. So we've got a, you know, right now we've got an economic strategy and a regional plan that really talks about trying to cluster businesses. So getting businesses to locate, you know, in the downtown or on commercial main streets where the city has already invested in municipal services. Uh, that just makes a lot of sense for a whole bunch of reasons, but it's also the best deal for the taxpayer. Um, but because of the way our assessment system works, um, um, it's often uh, to, to a business's better interest to go to a big box park, for instance, and to locate downtown where they'll pay less, less in taxes. And so we feel this is unfair. Uh, it's actually a bad deal for the city overall. We feel it's unfair for, for main streets and, and the downtown area. So we'd like to see this uh, changed. Uh, and there was a lot of conversation um, about the fact that the municipality only has certain powers. They can't do whatever they want. They get the legislative power from the province. But in this case, the province has acted and has told the city, you can actually set different rates for different areas of the city. Uh, and we and a lot of other of the partners would like to see the city do that. Uh, but the conversation yesterday wasn't really about that. It was really about, well, if we change the tax system, that means some people's taxes will go up and some people will go down. And is that really fair? Um, as opposed to what I think what we'd love to have, have heard was a candidate coming out and saying, well, the current system is unfair. We need to we need to balance things out and make it more fair. And yes, that means people's taxes will go up because that's what that's what we need to make it fair. Um, but but they really kind of defaulted back to um, and obviously all the candidates were, were kind of this way that they kind of defaulted back to the position. Well, making a change is going to be really hard and it's going to it's going to hurt some people and help some people, uh, which is the case. Um, and this has been this has been a conversation we've had for for years and years. But the provincial legislation has been in place since 2016, and the, and the current administration hasn't really moved much in this at all. So I, I was disappointed that there wasn't, you know, no one was out there saying, hey, I've got a, a, a new tax plan that's really going to revitalize the city and help businesses recover from COVID. Um, it was really just about, well, oh, it's complicated and we'll, we'll look into it. This question is going to start with uh, Matt Whitman. In 2016, the province granted the city the power to set different commercial tax rates for different areas of the city, lower in the downtown and the main streets and then higher in the suburbs and business parks. Will you enact this, or would you stick with one commercial tax rate? It's a good question. It's, uh, it kind of feels like playing favorites, and many of those favorites are here in the room today from, uh, from Spryfield and from Sackville and from downtown and from the North End and from Dartmouth. Um, if we change the tax rates for one area, the dollars have to be found somewhere else from someone else. So if you're going to benefit downtown Halifax at the expense of uh, Bears Lake or from Sackville, someone has to pick up the tab. And same as if you change the commercial tax rate, residences, the property owners have to pick up the tab. So uh, that is one of the most difficult ongoing conversations that uh, we need to have. Um, the commercial tax rate system is not working the way it is and changes are necessary. I've often talked to our, our department, Bruce Fisher, and our CFO about it, and always get uh, kind of stonewalled. There's no easy answer to it. I guess we'll need more folks on council to make it a priority for anything to change on that. Mike Savage, on that question, would you enact this, the, the different commercial tax rates, or stick with the one rate? Well, my old friend Reg Rankin used to be on council, had this saying that whenever you do something nice for somebody, you gore somebody else's ox. And when it comes to taxes, that is exactly the, uh, the case. We're trying to get to a situation in taxes which is fair. And particularly in commercial taxes, we, as you know, there is no business occupancy tax. And the share of taxes that are paid by uh, the commercial sector has gone down since amalgamation because businesses create jobs and you still keep the residential tax rate as fair as you can. And we've looked at a number of ways to try to incent uh, development in certain areas. But the fact is, the money comes from somewhere else. And if we can find a way that incents small and medium-sized enterprises uh, and marginally increases the taxes on large, uh, people traditionally say box stores, then, you know, that's something we should look at. But it's a very, very cumbersome and difficult process. If you devised a way to assess city taxes now, you wouldn't go to a property tax. You would probably do what you do everywhere else. You would have some kind of income-based test, some kind of a test that was based on your ability to pay, not just the property you own, which are not always the same thing. I would love to be able to incent businesses. There are some places in the city now that maybe 10 years ago would have been considered to be doing okay, which no longer doing uh, okay, and some areas that were hurting 10 years ago that are now doing better. We've seen tremendous growth in our downtown, uh, which is a really positive thing and was the purpose of the original tax reform, but there are still people who have real trouble. But if income-based taxes would be more favorable than, than property taxes, maybe should you be fighting for that? No, 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 because the whole world, or at least in North America, we do taxes based on property value. 
But what you can do is what we've done. You've tried to look at things in terms of the property cap, the tax on property taxes. Even that is not fair. That's not fair to new home buyers. So there's nothing you can do in property taxes except to be effective to fix inequalities than to keep the tax rate down. And this city's done a better job of that than anybody else. All right. Uh, Max Taylor, do you want to weigh in on perhaps your plan? You said it's important to keep young people here and to, to that they have affordable housing, that there be opportunities. What would be your plan to create jobs and retain youth here? Well, I think when it comes down to it, I just want to touch on the last point. Uh, if you make less money, you should probably pay less tax, regardless of where you are. I really do think that's important. Absolutely. I might be biased because I did have an ice cream bike business last year, and the other woman who's out there on her ice cream bike made arguably five times as much. I was salty, but we're going to move past that. That being said, I do think the less money you make, the less tax you should pay, regardless of where you are. You can be in Bears Lake, downtown. If you're only bringing a certain amount of money, you can't afford to pay a certain amount of tax. That's just the way it is, especially if you're paying enough for rent down there. But I think in terms of a comprehensive plan, we have to encourage people to open up business, encourage them to get involved with local businesses, encourage them to get involved with local politics and everything that comes with it. I mean, if we're not empowering the young people, we're not empowering university students to say, hey, you can go ahead and do this. This is easy to do because it's really not that easy to do right now. I took a long, hard process to start a little ice cream bike that shouldn't have been as hard as it was. Nobody else would do it. And the reason there's not more businesses like that is because there's so many issues around building a business like that. You have to go through so many hoops, so many regulations, talk to so many different people. If it was as easy as going into an office and filling out 10 forms, we would have a thousand more small businesses by young people in the city. Mm -hmm. So that was one. The other one I would say was, was maybe a bit disappointing was uh, the conversation around Cogswell. Um, and so Cogswell is, is a huge investment the city is going to be making. It's been delayed a little bit. Um, but Cogswell isn't just, um, you know, isn't just a planning project or an engineering project. It really is tied into, you know, the entire, you know, history of this place going back to displacing, you know, the population of Africville, um, you know. And that question we got input from the Black Business Initiative. That's right. Yeah, the Black Business, yeah. uh, Black Business Initiative were one of the partners. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the question was really about, you know, Cogswell presents this great opportunity. Um, you know, we've had lots of conversations of course, uh, around the world and, and in Halifax, North America, around the Black Lives Matter movement, um, you know, what, what things can be done to help address systemic racism. And there's really no better example of the results of systemic racism than Cogswell, uh, what, what's, what's happened there in the past and, and how we can uh, do, do things better. All right, we have a question from the Black Business Initiative, and the question is this. In light of the current environment on anti-black racism and the BLM movement, what is being done to engage and include the displaced and disenfranchised black community in the Cogswell Street and other significant development projects? And what would you change about the current approach? Um, I'm going to start with Mike Savage on that one. So when we've talked about Cogswell, I've talked about this. This is a traditional black community and so from the beginning when the designs for Cogswell came out there was a recognition of the history of black and indigenous populations. What we need is a policy that encourages those people who have been shut out of the economic development of the city to be part of programs like that. In other words to make sure that we hire people, black business people, indigenous business people, making sure that we have a, a living wage that encourages people to be well paid because I absolutely believe in the major projects in the city we need to make sure that we hire people who traditionally we haven't hired. And in some cases, we may have to change some of the qualifications. But I think we can work with the CFIB and the Chamber of Commerce, who are doing some great work on anti-black racism as well, and recognize that that pays dividends in the long term. But has there been enough consultation with the black community? I don't think the there's been enough black, uh, consultation with the black community. I know that our CAO has been given direction to go away and come up with some work on not only the black community, but uh, the workforce that we have, the, the African Nova Scotian uh, workforce. I think Tracy Jones Grant in our diversity office leads a lot of consultation. Um, and I think probably we, sh we should continue to have that and with the indigenous population and people with disabilities as well. All right, Matt Whitman, do you want in on that? What would you change about the current approach? Well, um, I was relieved to see that uh, Cornwallis Street was not changed to New Horizons Street, which the local community did not want that to happen, so I'm glad that my colleagues voted against that. Uh, when it comes to Cogswell and the surrounding area, uh, many people in this room were part of a, uh, a group that came to speak to Council and to let us know that they wanted to be heard regarding the Cogswell plan, and uh, they wanted further discussion, they wanted further changes made. Um, the Business Improvement District folks that are right here in this room that are hosting us today wanted to be heard, and I was the only one that voted to slow things down to listen to them. So, you know, when it comes to listening, that's the key. Um, I think uh, thanks to our sunshine list, you'll see that the, the director on our staff who actually looks after the Cogswell um, planning project 
makes well over $200,000 a year to oversee this thing, and the thing has been stalled, and he's still getting paid. So I'm thankful that we have a sunshine list to show, uh, shine a light on these things, shine a light on secret uh, firings and severance packages. But the key is to, to meet with the locals, to hear from them, and uh, to honor their wishes. All right. Max Taylor, do you want to comment? I think, once again, both candidates make a great point. When it comes down to you have to listen to these things, you have to get a collection of ideas and make the best choice based on the collection of ideas. That being said as well, it's easy to sit in a boardroom and talk about what should happen by hearing from two or three people. But really, I've heard from people who said they've reached out. They've, they've sent messages. They've sent tweets. And they've gone largely unnoticed. I think we need to listen to all voices when it comes to this. The people in these communities all have a voice, no matter who you are, no matter if you own a small business, if you're a single mother, if you're trying to finish a university degree. They all have a voice. And if you, you get tweeted at, you get DM'd, you get messaged, you get emailed, you get talked to in person, you should be respected you to have uh, the ear of whoever you're talking to, and that's incredibly important. I think we need as many diverse opinions as possible to make the best possible solution, and right now I don't think that's happening necessarily. And so uh, I just would have thought that the candidates would have had a, a much bolder plan to say, listen, this is a great opportunity for us to, to help restore some of the relationships that have been broken over the years, uh, particularly with, with the black community in the North End. Um, and again, I think most of the answers are really around, well, yes, we need to do a better job at engaging the community, uh, but nothing really specific. Um, so I think that was one where I think, again, a, you know, a candidate could really come forward with you know, a much more detailed platform. And again, it's, it's, it's hard to to go through all that in a, in a debating format. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there may be more information on the website, but, uh, but that was one where there probably wasn't much difference between the candidates. I think they all were saying, you know, we can do better, um, mm -hmm. but, but not a whole lot in terms of specifics behind that. Yeah, affordable housing is a really hot topic right now. Um, yeah. uh, were you satisfied with the candidates' answers? I was in the sense uh, that it's, it's interesting. I, I would, my sense is that over the past, really even over the past couple of weeks, affordable housing uh, seems to have come up as, as the number one issue. Mm -hmm. uh, and all candidates kind of addressed it proactively even before there was any questions asked about it. Uh, and even Max Taylor, who's, you know, whose whole platform is about getting people out to vote, you know, talked about, I think really, aside from that, his number one issue seems to be affordable housing. Uh, and each candidate really recognized that, that that's a huge issue. And that, I think that's, that's pretty new in the, in the last... Uh, you know, in the last campaign, you know, we weren't talking about affordable housing in the same way as, as we are now. Um, so while none of their answers, not, none of them had, had really come forward with a, with a specific plan about how they're going to deal uh, with affordable housing, I thought there was great conversation around it, mm -hmm. uh, including the fact that it's, it's not really a municipal mandate, um, but, uh, but they all believe it's something that the municipality has to really step up uh, and, and take control over, take ownership of, um, and it's, it's, it's probably the number one issue uh, that they all recognize moving forward for the city. So, uh, you know, whichever candidate is, is successful, uh, hopefully they would, uh, they would move forward with something much more aggressive around affordable housing. So, you know, overall, I was, I was impressed that that's become such, a, such an important topic to these, these three candidates. You said things about young people flocking to the city, which absolutely makes sense. It's a university town. But what are we doing to keep them to stay? I mean, in terms of transit, in terms of affordable housing, how are we getting these young people to stay and maybe move their families down here and feel comfortable? Well, that's exactly what's happening. You know, I started something the second or third year I was mayor called the Welcome Reception for International Students where we bought students from around the world and we bought them in and we introduced them to people in the city, to the police and to the fire and how to do recycling. And the first year I did that, some people in this room may have been there, all I heard was, I love this city and I want to stay here. How can I stay here? So one of the things that we did in the city was we started a program called Bridging the Gap where we allowed people to get right into the city. We hired them directly. We put them in planning and finance and communications and we said to other businesses, you should do the same thing. Today is a lot different than it was then. Back then, a lot of kids were unemployed and they were moving away. Today, companies are looking for talent, and they can't find as much as they want. One company I was talking to the other day hired 89 people last year in one year, almost all young people. Okay, but let's get back to affordable housing. Um, Matt Whitman, what do you think the city could do on this front? It is a provincial responsibility, but if you were elected mayor, what could you do? Yeah, it's a bit of a cop-out to say it's a, a provincial responsibility. I think that we need to... Uh, to do more to make it easier for those that invest in HRM to invest and speed up the, uh, the permitting process and the, uh, the inspection process. This morning we had a, a report from our Auditor General that says that um, there's no uh, standards for uh, permitting. So we're doing great, but there's no standards to meet. And that's a huge concern of mine, and I brought that up this morning. Um, regarding rent control, sure, it might be a... Uh, a provincial decision, and Mayor Savage says there's two points of view on it. I'm not sure what his is, but I think that we're, we are a free 
uh, free market. It's not fair for us to uh, change the, uh, move the goalposts and change the plans for folks that have bought buildings and bought land to develop and to, to grow their business and us to say, you can't do that. Just like we couldn't say that to the O'Regans or the Steels. We couldn't say it to the folks that are selling Tim Hortons coffee. We can't change the plans on how they make their business. They invested in, in, in businesses and their clients are the people that are renting. So we have to honor that. It's not fair. Going forward, we can definitely make it easier for folks to invest in HRM, uh, speed up the processes, uh, work with the business uh, improvement districts to uh, bring in construction mitigation so that these folks aren't uh, impacted like they are nowadays on South Park Street and on Spring Garden Road with the closures and the inability for folks to get in and shop at their stores. Those are things that we can do to make life better for businesses, and uh, that will be my focus. Uh, Max Taylor, do you want to, okay, just a moment, I want to sure. give Max a chance. Do you, what do you see amongst people your age? What do they tell you about affordable housing in the city? I mean, when it comes down to it, I do think people want to stay. If they come for university, whether it's Dalhousie or SME or NSCC, they do want to stay. Just the simple fact is they can't afford to. Yet we see condominiums built up every single month that are $3,000 a month to rent a place. And these students have to cram in maybe five people in what seems like a one-bedroom. It just doesn't seem necessarily fair. And, I mean, obviously the city is focused on growth. The city is focused on making money. But for the people that live in it right now, for the students that live in it right now, we want them to stay. We want them to build their families here. That's what we want. And I think we need more affordable housing. We need better solutions to make that happen. Mike Savage, you want so to I, I absolutely agree with what uh, Max has said. I think the first thing we need is jobs. And the second thing is it has to be housing for, for young people. We used to lose them to Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, and Calgary. We're not losing them then to them now, and they're certainly not going to find cheaper housing there than they do here. But I, I, there are things that we can specifically do. In my platform, I call for a number of things. One is I want a staff person in the city who gets up in the morning every day thinking about housing. We've had great people who've worked on it, but I want a dedicated person who will make sure that we do work on affordable housing. The feds have a program now called the Co-Investment Fund, where we don't even need to have the province involved. The municipality can partner with the feds and with not-for-profit organizations and get housing built right away. We need to look at what the impact of Airbnb on our housing market. You know, there's a lot of people who have Airbnb units. They may not be used right now because of COVID, but that's an option. But I do want to ask would you, you... Would you want to try to crack down on Airbnbs? We want to look at Airbnbs and figure out the impact on the housing market and see what regulations we can bring in to make sure that housing comes first. And were there any answers that surprised or shocked you? Uh, not so much in, in the answers. I mean, I think what surprised me a little bit uh, was it did uh, it did get down and dirty a little bit yeah, uh, at yeah, times. They, uh, <laughs> Actually. Um, I mean, uh, I think the two candidates were, were, were both fairly nice to, to Max Taylor uh, as the newcomer, and I think at, at, at times they they seem to be trying to point out areas where they could agree with them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but certainly, there's you know there's a, there's a long history. Obviously, uh, Mayor Savage and Council Whitman have been on council for eight years, and, yeah, and they've been, had disagreements. They, were in, they came into office at the same time. They would have come in at the same time. And, and I think you know, the differences have kind of showed themselves in, in a numerous ways. So uh, there was points where there was like some little, you know, some little digs back and forth uh, between them. Nothing, nothing outrageous, um, but um, but you could tell there's there's some personal history there, uh, which again for for the um, for the public at home was was, was probably good to see. Um, you know, you want to see you want to see those policy differences and, and those personality differences yeah, as well. Made for a lively debate for sure. Made for a lively debate. There's, there's big differences between me and, me and Mayor Mike in particular. Uh, Max and I, maybe not so much. We're both uh, young and handsome. Uh, but Mike and I, we have had a lot of wins together, and uh, growth has been important to us. But I would say the big difference is on our spending and how we're going to spend coming out of COVID. We don't have a blank checkbook to, uh, to solve the COVID problems at any level of government. And so I'll be committed to watching the dollars, not spending on $25 million stadiums and $3.5 million roundabouts and $80 million forum renovations. But, but I want to also just ask Matt, if, if I didn't realize we could go back and forth, but Matt, have you ever bought housing up at council in eight years? Uh, yeah, I think I voted on uh, every time housing's been Did you speak council. to any? Did you bring an idea forward on this? Yeah, I think I have. Um, my idea right now is not to have just one person responsible for it and have 20 people that work in the communications department and six and a half people that work in your office doing uh, research and social media and writing your speeches. We need more of a focus on affordable housing. So I'm bringing up right now today, one person isn't going to be enough. It's more than we have now, and we have a lot of people in the city who are working on it. But you've been on council for eight years. I've never heard you raise affordable housing as an issue. Well, again, in our system, we have a, a weak mayor system. You know, the, the mayor, whoever it is, I mean, a large um, part of how they lead has to be by influence, right? Mm-hmm. So I would, I would say that, you know, in, in this role, personality does play uh, a big role, and, and you're, you know, you're voting for someone, hopefully, that shares your values and, and ideas and get things done, but you're, you're voting a bit on personality as well. So uh, I'm sure voters will be taking that into account. Right. And they do have... Uh, 
as you mentioned, they do have a long history. They've been in, in office for eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Max Taylor is new, um, new to newcomer to the whole political realm. Do you think he has a chance? Well, he's not new to me because, of course, I'm a huge TikTok um, <laughs> uh, fan myself. Right. And, of uh, course, you're on all that. Yeah. I'm on. I'm on. Yeah. I'm on that all. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's a newcomer, and I think uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, one of the things that he addressed, which uh, which I liked, was, you know, there's there's uh, as much as I think people are excited to see a, a fresh face on the scene. There's a bit of skepticism, and I've heard people make comments. Well, he's just there to to build up his TikTok subscribers, uh, and he kind of addressed that right away, saying, mm-hmm. no, he's he's passionate about the city. He's passionate about uh, about people getting out and voting uh, and exercising their, their democratic right to do that. Max Taylor, you're being referred to in the headlines when you entered this debate as TikTok boy. Is that fair? Uh, I think if that's what sells papers or if that's what gets clicks, absolutely, by all means, do it. I mean, I, when it comes down to it, people don't understand the other side of things. I did work for City for two years. I did own a small business in Halifax last year. I have gone through the motions of understanding how small business works. There's a lot more to the story than people hear. So, I mean, obviously, if someone were to reach out to me and ask me about these things, I would tell them. But no one's really had taken the time to ask. So I encourage anyone out there at home, send me a DM. I will gladly reply. So, yeah, I think it's, it'll be interesting to see, you know, where he goes. I mean, if, if he doesn't win the election, where he goes from here and, and whether he pursues, uh, you know, politics in the future, whether it's at a municipal level or, or somewhere else. But I think he's, he's uh, so far, I mean, it's, it's early in the campaign, I guess, but uh, I think uh, probably safe to say he's, he's impressed people uh, much yeah, more so than, yeah, than the opposite. So. It seems like he held his own, you know, throughout the whole forum. So Yeah, he held his own, and, and we had heard, saw some comments about how he was positioned in the middle, and that's kind of where he was, I think, between these candidates <laughs> in a lot of ways and in, in, in most ways. Um, uh, not in age, I guess, but in, no. in uh, certainly <laughs> position, he seemed to be uh, yeah, kind of between uh, right. Mike Savage and yeah. Matt Whitman. But we did it in alphabetical order, just so that people know. That's right. <laughs> okay. Um, so for those who missed the live stream and the broadcast, you know, how can they watch it again? Well, the good news is so we, we broadcast it in the afternoon. Um, and again, that was, that was mainly intended to get more of a business audience. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've typically done these when they're live in the evenings. Uh, but of course, because it, we were doing it in this way, we record it to make it available. So, so it's not too late to, to catch it if you, um, if you haven't read any of the recaps or you missed it the first time around. So there's two ways to, to watch it. You can still catch it on Facebook. Uh, uh, at Downtown Halifax, uh, or you can catch it on YouTube on the DHBC One channel. Perfect. Okay. Any parting words for the voters out there, especially those who are still on the fence? Well, I certainly would agree with, with Max Taylor that everyone should get out and vote, uh, whether you're crazy about any of these candidates or not. Um, it's, uh, it, is your, uh, it is your responsibility as a citizen. I've said it before, and I will say it again. I'm here so you exercise your right to vote. I don't care who you vote for because it is not my choice to tell you who the best option is. It is the people of Halifax's choice to tell you who the best option is. It is their decision to make. Uh, and I think, you know, there's, there's three fairly clear choices here. So I think, uh, you know, you are voting a bit on, in terms of, you know, who do you like the most uh, personality-wise, but, uh, but there's certainly some policy differences between all three of the candidates, uh, and hopefully enough that... Um, uh, that people can make a choice with that. And, and really, you know, the, the election is really the beginning. So, you know, obviously pick the one you like the best and, and vote for them. Um, but, uh, but be involved and engaged. Uh, municipal politics, you know, is, is the level of politics that impacts people's lives the most often, uh, the most frequently. And it's also the easiest one to impact and to get involved with. So, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to, to, you know, send an email to the mayor or to your local councillor. And, uh, and we would encourage more and more people to, to do that. The more people we have involved, the, uh, the better decisions that we'll make, regardless of who's uh, in that center seat. Great. Well, thank you, Paul. Thanks for the overview of the, the forum. Well, we still have Paul McKinnon, CEO of Denton Halifax Business Commission here. He's going to update us on the new federal funding for black-owned and black-led businesses. So, Paul, what, uh, what details do you have on this fund for us? Well, uh, not a lot more than we heard in terms of the announcement, but uh, but uh, it sounded very exciting, and we did have a bit of a conversation uh, about it uh, with the Nova Scotia Business Labor Economic Coalition. Uh, so I'll kind of do a little bit of a rundown, uh, and there's more details, of course, uh, can be found uh, on the government websites. Um, but I'll just read the, the opening blurb, which I think is really good, uh, from the press release uh, that came out uh, from the government. Uh, which goes like this. Every day, black business owners and entrepreneurs are making valuable contributions to communities across the country, and their success is essential to Canada's economic recovery and future prosperity. The COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted and exacerbated existing systemic barriers faced by black entrepreneurs and small and medium-sized business owners in Canada. While we have made progress in advancing equitable access to support and opportunities, much more needs to be done to better help black business owners and entrepreneurs and address anti-black racism. 
And so uh, this fund, uh, which was announced uh, last week, it, and overall it's about a $221 million fund, uh, which is a combination of government funding and, and partnership funding. Uh, but the main portions and the way that breaks down is um, there is $53 million going towards a national ecosystem fund. There's a $33 million um, loan fund, which will be available to individual uh, black-owned businesses and small and medium uh, enterprises. Um, and $6.5 million uh, going towards creating a black entrepreneurship knowledge hub. So like a lot of the government programs that are coming out now, there's uh, there's not necessarily uh, as much detail as maybe we'd like in terms of when the application process opens and how it's all going to work. That t- typically, typically tends to roll out uh, in the weeks that follow the announcement. So uh, the announcement has just come out. Uh, but overall, it's, it's exciting news. And, and of course, as we represent businesses, we represent uh, a number of black-owned businesses uh, in downtown Halifax. So any sort of funding that, that's going to help uh, sustain and promote those businesses, especially you know um, in the recovery period for COVID-19, is, is good news. Uh, uh, so we'll certainly be helping uh, spread the word and the opportunities uh, that exist um, for our own members to apply uh, specifically for the loan fund. Um, but also a special shout-out, I think, goes to the Black Business Initiative, uh, which is one of our members, downtown Halifax. Uh, Matt Martell, um, their COO, is, uh, is one of our newest board members. Uh, and Rustam Southwell, who was the CEO of the Black Business Initiative, uh, was one of our guests on a previous podcast. Um, and my understanding is that they were one of the organizations that kind of worked behind the scenes to help uh, put the details together for this program. So uh, congratulations to them and, uh, and to the government for, uh, for releasing this. It's, uh, it's very exciting and, and very timely. And um, for more information, uh, of course, you can go to, to our website, which contains uh, all the information from, for all the programs that governments are offering, uh, or you can go, to the, of course, to the Government of Canada uh, page as well. Yeah, so that's uh, the Prime Minister's website at pm.gc.ca. That's right. So thanks, Paul. Great, thank you. We were talking to Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission. He gave us the highlights and his thoughts on the Mayoral Candidates Forum that was live-streamed on Facebook and YouTube. You can still watch a recording of the forum on the Downtown Halifax Facebook page, as well as the DHBC One YouTube channel. And now for BizBuzz. And we are back with BizBuzz. We are welcoming our new Marketing and Communications Coordinator, Tori McLeod, to Downtown Lowdown. Tori will be joining us for BizBuzz for the next few episodes. Welcome, Tori. Thanks for having me. And of course, Ivy is here with us also. Hi, Ivy. Hello. <laughs> Since today is technically the first day of fall, September 22nd, we have a bit of a fall-themed BizBuzz today. We are going to talk about fall events happening in downtown Halifax, and yes, you heard me correctly, events are slowly coming back to downtown Halifax, and we will tell you about a few coming up over the next few weeks. We are also going to tell you where you can satisfy your pumpkin spice cravings if you're having them. And then very quickly at the end, I'm going to touch on our 2020 holiday gift guide because whether we want to admit it or not, the holidays are coming. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) We can admit it. Yes. It's coming. It's coming. Yes. But first, Tori is going to tell us about some downtown Halifax business milestones and updates. What do you have for us, Tori? Let's start with a few business milestones. Congratulations to Argyle Fine Art at 1559 Barrington Street on celebrating their 20th anniversary. Follow at Argyle underscore fine underscore art on Instagram to keep up to date with what they are doing. And welcome to downtown Halifax, yours by E Bridal Shop. They opened at 1887 Granville Street, and they are a new bridal shop that carries unique bridal dress designs, shoes, and bridal accessories. To learn more about them, follow at Halifax Bridal on Instagram or at Your Halifax Bridal on Facebook. A few places have reopened again, including Geo Restaurant in the Prince George Hotel reopened on September 8th for dine-in service, Thursdays through Saturdays from 5 to 10 p.m. You can follow at Geo Halifax on Instagram for more information and to just see all of their amazing food and drink photos. The Halifax Convention Center is open for events again. They held their first event on September 12th. Follow at HFX Conventions on Instagram for more information, or if you are interested in learning more about their enhanced safety protocols, visit HalifaxConventionCenter.com. And a couple of new places have opened up in downtown Halifax. They include the Sutton Place Hotel Halifax, open on September 8th in the Nova Center. Sutton Place Hotel is the luxury hotel and is the perfect place to book a special getaway. You can follow at Sutton Place Hotels on Instagram for more information. Ivy will be telling us about her staycation at the Sutton Place Hotel Halifax later in BizBuzz. And Chop Steakhouse also had its grand opening at the Nova Center on September 10th. You can follow at chop.halifax on Facebook or Chop Steakhouse on Instagram for more information and their hours of operation. 
Great. Thanks, Tori. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the segment, events are slowly starting to come back to downtown Halifax. They look a little bit different than before. They are smaller, and of course, there are enhanced cleaning and safety measures in place to keep everyone safe. We've started populating our events calendar on downtownhalifax.ca again, but here's a quick rundown of some events happening over the next few weeks. Patio Entertainment on Argyle Street was an initiative that was spearheaded by Joe McGinnis at Legendary Hospitality. They teamed up with Labatt's and Corona Beer to offer live music on patios along Argyle Street, and this started in August and ends this Saturday, September 26th. You can catch some of the live patio music tonight, September 22nd, and tomorrow, September 23rd at Lot 6, September 24th at The Pint, September 25th at Moxie's, and September 26th at The Pint again. For more information, showtimes, and the artists playing, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash argylemusic. Halifax Oktoberfest 2020 with Garrison Brewing Company is taking place at the Stubborn Goat Beer Garden on the waterfront from September 25th to October 4th. There'll be some food and drink promotions, music, and more. For more information, check out at Garrison Brewing or at Stubborn Goat Beer Garden on Facebook and find the Oktoberfest listing in their events link. The Halifax Ubernova Market is taking place Saturday, September 26th in Rogers Square. This craft, art, and food market is being organized by Sparkles and Sawdust. Admission is free and everyone is welcome to join in the fun of this first market in the Rogers Square area. For more information, follow at Supernova Market HFX on Instagram. And Ambassador Tours and Murphy's on the Water are still offering their harbor tours into October. Their tours include the Harbor Hopper, Wines on the Water, Craft Beer Cruise, and more. They also have some fall-themed tours, including a fall color sale, a ghost ship sale, and a family-friendly ghost ship sale, all on the tall ship Silva, which all sound really fun. You can check out all their tours at ambassadors.com slash experiences. So for these events and more, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash events. So let's talk pumpkin spice. Ivy and Tori, are you guys fans of pumpkin spice? Pumpkin spice. Pumpkin mm. spice. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on what in what context, I yes. guess. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I love pumpkin spice lattes, muffins. I don't know. Yeah, everything. Like everything. It seems <laughs> like, like everything pumpkin spice. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, almost uh, like carrot muffins. To oh, me. I see. Yeah. Kind of the same. Well, when the season rolls around, I usually get one or two. Yes. Probably that's my maximum in terms of pumpkin spice lattes. Um, you know, pumpkin pie, of course, you know, is it's classic, right? Yeah. I'm actually um, not a fan of pumpkin pie. I, I'm not yeah. a huge fan, but my yeah. family, my in-laws love it, so mm-hmm. I always make that for, for Thanksgiving dinner. Right. Um, so, you know, that's, that's fine. I don't yeah. mind it. I like, I like pumpkin. My mom used to make a pumpkin loaf. That was really good. Um, but I, I like pumpkin spice. I just find that when people start talking about it in July. Oh, yeah. Did it start early. too early this year? I felt like it started early yeah. this year. I had a friend, a mutual friend, Ivy. We both know her. She used to, she was a student, co-op student at DHBC. Oh, Angelina. Pumpkin <laughs> spice. I swear it was June. She was dreaming about fall sweaters oh, and pumpkin goodness. spice. And I was like, that is way too early. I was ready. Oh, really? Well. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, so here are a few places that you can satisfy your pumpkin spice cravings in downtown Halifax. Cafe Teaki 52 on Brunswick Street has pumpkin spice tea lattes, espresso lattes, and they have a pumpkin spice teaki, which are their little delicious fishes, and it's filled with a pumpkin spice filling. So check them out on Instagram. Their handle is at teaki 52 the Ville Caffeine Bar is selling caramel pumpkin spice lattes as a fall fundraiser. One dollar from each latte will be donated to add some hosts for women and children. The Ville is located at 5146 Sackville Street in the Maple Building. And you can follow at the Ville Caffeine Bar on Instagram for more information. So that's a great idea. You can get your, your latte and not feel bad. Mm-hmm. Grounded Coffee in the Historic Properties also has PSLs. You can check them out on Instagram at, at grounded.halifax. Starbucks on Barrington and in Scotia Square are selling lots of pumpkin spice drinks from PSL lattes to pumpkin cream cold brews. Starbucks is really a one-stop shop for everything pumpkin spice. And finally, Tim Hortons has lots of PSL products from donuts to Timbits, drinks and more. We actually have three Tims in downtown Halifax. They are at Scotia Square. Uh, One is on Upper Water Street and there's one on Barrington Street close to Inglis. So go forth and pumpkin spice. And finally, changing seasons. We are in the planning stages of our 2020 holiday gift guide. We are partnering with Spring Garden Area on the gift guide this year, so it will be bigger and better than ever. If you are a member or business in downtown Halifax or the Spring Garden Road area and would like to be featured in our holiday gift guide, please email me, alana at downtownhalifax.ca, for more details. And alana is A-L-L-A-N-A at downtownhalifax.ca. 
And before we sign off, let's talk downtown Halifax experiences. Ivy, I am really excited to hear about your downtown Halifax vacation at Sutton Place Hotel, so let's start with you. Well, it was an amazing weekend, um, and first of all, it was not sponsored. We did this on our own. Mm-hmm. Uh, we booked a hotel room at Sutton Place Hotel, and they had uh, a, a special going on, an opening celebration, staycation kind of rate. Mm-hmm. So it was um, so starting... So gone until the end of this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, until the end of December. So starting at $179 plus tax. a really good price. Yeah, it was a very good price, especially for a luxury hotel mm-hmm. like that. So we thought we have to take advantage of that. So we booked a night, uh, and... And it was great. Uh, brought our child as well, our five-and-a-half-year-old. So which, romantic. Oh, I know. <laughs> I thought, okay, this could be very interesting. But he loved it. He yes. was great. Yeah. Um, he thought it was an amazing room. The view was amazing. Mm-hmm. We were on the 18th floor. So we had a great view of the harbor and, of course, of downtown Halifax. Yeah, right. Uh, so it was it was almost like I wasn't in Halifax. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, am I on a, on a, a conference or something like that? Yeah. Am I out of town at a conference? Uh, but it was amazing. It was yeah. a great stay. The staff, uh, they were so friendly and accommodating and mm-hmm. awesome. Like mm-hmm. when we checked out, they even gave Leo a little gift. Oh, nice. From Rousseau's, Rousseau's oh, Chocolatier. Nice. Yeah. Oh, I love Rousseau's. So it was a chocolate lobster. And oh, yeah. What so a great idea. It was a great idea. Yeah. And it was their first weekend, so mm-hmm. I don't know if they do this all the time or if it's just yeah. because it's an opening weekend and mm-hmm. or if it's because, you know, there's a five-year, five-and-a-half-year-old in front of them. But, yeah. Um, but it was a nice little gift. You know, I thought it was a nice touch. It is a nice touch, actually, in that they also use another local uh, supplier. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think I've actually had those little lobster chocolates oh, before. They're so good. They're so good. So good. Everything good. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, and the room, of course, is gorgeous, mm-hmm. so beautiful. And I had a great sleep, even though Leo, my son, would not fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> he fell asleep after 9 o'clock, which is way past his bedtime. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the beds were comfy. The room was luxury. So nice. I would highly recommend it. Um, so, But that evening, we had dinner at Dharma Sushi, and we dined in, and it was amazing. I think it was the first time I actually didn't finish my dinner because I ordered too much. Nice. I usually just finish everything. Just yeah, especially sushi. Dharma Sushi is so good. It's one of my favorites yeah. downtown. They also have really great lunch specials during the week. And they do. Yeah, it's such a great place to go. Yep, and it was an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dine-in as well. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time dining in at su- uh, Dharma Sushi since the pandemic. So. Yeah, so does Leo eat sushi? He had udon noodles, and okay, he loved it. Yes, he, those said, are good. he actually said that was one of the highlights of the weekend. Nice. <laughs> was the, the udon good noodles. Good to know, yeah. And then for brunch, the next morning, we went to Gahan House. Mm-hmm. And yeah, their brunch looks really oh, good. Oh, yeah, it was really good. I had some cod cakes, and um, uh, my husband and my son had waffles. It was really good, and we sat out on the patio. Under like in, a great weekend. Yeah, in Rogers Square. I've never sat in the, on the patio in Rogers Square before. So, Yeah, it's so nice that it's covered, and they also have the little fireplaces or little fire pits or something, oh. don't they, on Gahan House? Maybe they bring them out more in the fall. Maybe. It was yeah. in the morning Okay, it was didn't have them brunch, yet. so yeah. they probably wouldn't have had them out, mm-hmm. uh, but out. But, yeah, it was great. It was a nice. good experience, and, yeah, it was a great weekend. That sounds like a lot of fun. What about you, Tori? Anything fun in downtown Halifax? I actually went on one of the Murphy's um, Wines on the Water tours nice. with my boyfriend. It was on the tall ship Silva. Um, it was a super fun experience with Murphy's the Cable Wharf and Ambassadors. We went and we had a blast. There was live music, wine, and food. So what more could you ask? Sounds <laughs> really fun. The sommelier on board gave us good a good understanding of the different wines from across Nova Scotia and had great commentary throughout the night. Mm-hmm. My favorite part was you could still get up and dance in your own little uh, physically distant square. Um, it made for a great night on the water and a new experience for me because I'd actually never been on the Halifax Harbor before. What? Really? Yeah, in my 17 years living here. I'm shocked. <laughs> That's amazing. That, wow. that was your first experience. Yeah, it was really, it was a great first experience. <laughs> and even though it was kind of drizzly out that night, um, we still had little tarps over oh, us okay. um and my boyfriend took the seat that didn't have as much coverage oh <laughs> <laughs> he was a gentleman yes <laughs> my hair still got ruined but <laughs> and the wine and all the food good it was great Amazing. we actually ordered another bottle um because it was just so good it was all from nova scotia oh um, nice that's always good they had a little barbecue on board um and like a little chef he was doing everything so it was all skewered and um, we even had barbecued lobster. 
Wow, that I sounds good. Barbecue, a barbecued lobster. That's that amazing. sounds really good. It was <laughs> delicious. I want that right now, actually. <laughs> I think their tours are still on until at least the end of September. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, I guess you could go this week. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm interested in the ghost ones. There's the always ghost ones sound so much fun. The yeah. family ghost tour. Yeah, I don't I know if my daughters would go for it, oh, but no. I think it looks like a lot of fun. I think I might have to do that. I think it'd be really fun. Yeah. yeah. There's always next year, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think my older daughter would do it. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. I'll, I'll fill them out. But if you go, let me know how it goes. I, I will. Yeah. So I haven't been out too much. I, I always think I should be going out more. But we did spend a day on the waterfront um, this past weekend. And we did the cruise wall walk that's down by the Seaport Market, which was nice. We did it later in the afternoon, though, so the sun was gone. But if you go in the morning when the market's on, it'd be a really nice time to go because that's when the sun comes up from that side of the comes over the mm-hmm. harbor that side. What is it called again? Is it the it's brow? The cruise walk, but ca- cruise wall. But it's people also used to call it the brow. Okay, okay. Uh, it is. It's just along the other side of the Seaport Market, so you can have a really good view of George's Island and really. You're just, you're just walking down, you know, the walkway there, area there. So my daughters are like, well, this isn't super exciting. <laughs> and I'm like, well, <laughs> it's the view. It's the yeah. View. It's normally morning, you wouldn't be allowed here. <laughs> go without your kids, get a coffee or tea and sit in one of the Adirondack chairs and just have a nice view of, and have the sun. It would be really nice. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And then we walked down the waterfront. Um, we just got a dog. And it's very family friendly to walk down the waterfront with, with your dog. There's lots of other dogs. So it was nice. And... There was so much stuff going on. You know, there's musicians playing by um, bicycle, the Bicycle Thief. Uh, all the patios were full. Um, it was a little bit chilly, so there were some people on the on the patio Bicycle Thief that had their red um, pashminas around oh, them, which yes. is so nice. I love seeing those. Um, and then, of course, we went to the salt yard, and we got ice cream at Cows. I'm not sure when Cows closes, but it'll probably be co- coming up soon sometime mm-hmm. in the fall. And uh, then we just walked, of course, to the submarine playground, and it was just really, really nice day. So I think, like, the waterfront is just great really any time of the year. You can go down with your family and always find something to do. So, yeah, that was our, our day out in downtown Halifax last weekend. Nice. Yeah. Sounds like fun. And I finally got my cows. I mean, I think I had it once earlier in the summer, but I, ha- I got my cows ice cream. I love their ice cream so much. It's so nice that it's over here now instead yes. of just in PEI. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan of their ice cream. So that's it. That's it for BizBuzz for this week. Great. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. It was fun. This concludes Downtown Lowdown, Episode 33, recorded on September 17, 2020. For more information, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash podcast. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to Downtown Lowdown. Also, follow at Downtown Halifax on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Thank you.